Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me, as usual, from across the pond is my co-host, Jack Serlis. Jack, how are you doing? Not bad, thank you, Patrick. Although I've just smashed a Domino's, Domino's Texas barbecue, so feeling quite horrendous after that, to be <laughs> honest. That Domino's on a Saturday night suggests to me that you are nursing a hangover. Can confirm the rumours I am nursing a hangover. Um, it's always a good idea, isn't it, Domino's, when you're feeling a bit a bit dodgy, but it's it never does the trick, does it? It always makes you feel worse. It's always a better it's always better as an idea than in practice, I think, um, in my mm. experience anyway. Um, but I think we've got something that hopefully will make you feel a bit better because this week we are chatting to the one and only kit man, Forbesy, Saints legend, I think that is fair to say. Definitely. I mean, I don't think legend goes far enough. I'd say, I'd say icon, I'd say cult hero. Um, yeah, everything, everything good about Southampton is personified in Kitman Forbesy. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. And I agree 100%. Before we bring him on, I just wanted to give a quick shout out. Please follow us on our social channels. Um, it's at OWT Saints Pod on Twitter, Instagram. We're also on Facebook as well. Jack, you've been looking after the Instagram over the past week and it has improved... It's improved by a factor of about 100, so thank you very much for that. No um, worries. The goal of the day has been a great little feature that people have enjoyed, and I've loved researching and seeing the, you know, the different worldy strikes that we've banged in over the years. Yeah, yeah, superb stuff. So, yeah, if you want to check us out uh, on social media and give us a follow, that would be much appreciated. But without further ado, let's bring Mark Forbes, a.k.a. Kitman Forbes, onto the podcast. Um, yeah, looking forward to this one. So this is our first current Southampton employee we've had on the podcast. We've spoken to former players, the likes of Dean Hammond, Richard Chaplow, Jos Hoyveld. We've spoken to former Saints employees, most recently uh, communications officer Jim Lucas. But we are now delighted to welcome Mark Forbes to the podcast. Those of you who follow him on Twitter will know him as Kitman Forbesy. Mark, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello, good evening to you. Good evening, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. A little bit hot, just finished a game of tennis, but uh, <laughs> happy, to, happy to chat with you. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I wanted to start by, again, just introducing you. The, for those that don't know, you're the Southampton FC kit and equipment manager uh, and first team kit man and also a Saints fan. Um, so I just kind of wanted to start. It must be something of a, of a dream job to be involved with the first team staff and, and to be a Southampton fan. How did that come about? Um, it's, a, it's a very long story, but I'll, I'll try and be as brief as possible. Um, I've been a fan since, well, basically since the age of five, so I'm 62 now, so uh, I think that's 57 years of the maths, correct? Um, and the gentleman that I've got to thank, really, is a chap called Jim Joyce. He used to be the first team physio at Southampton. Mm-hmm. Um, and about 20-odd years ago, I wrote a letter to Jim explaining that um, I was a keen sportsman. I'd started to take um, qualifications for the FA to do with uh, sports injuries, etc. And were they looking for any unpaid help? Obviously, um, expecting to work at a very, very, very minor level. Um, didn't dream I'd be working with the team, uh, first team. And Jim very kindly picked up the phone, had a conversation with me, and um, I started when just about the same time as the academy launched. So it was about twenty odd years ago. 
Okay. Wow. And how long have you been in your current role then as, as kit and equipment manager at Saints? Um, since 2009. The, the, the club um, restructured in 2009 with the acquisition of the club by the Lieber family. Mm. And um, obviously a lot of our fans will remember um, Mr. Nicola Cortese. Yep. And I was working part-time in the uh, medical department as a masseur. Um, was asked to go on tour with the club. We were in Interlaken. Um, Alan Pardew was the manager. And um, I'd only been there two days, and I got summoned into Mr. Cortese's room. Um, I'm thinking, gosh, what have I done wrong? And <laughs> there was Mr. Cortese and um, Alan Pardew. And um, cutting long story short, they had restructured the club. There was a positioning position for a kit and equipment manager. Um, they wanted someone who had uh, business knowledge. And my other career, I'd spent 30 years in the city as a Lloyds of London insurance broker. So I understood about finance, risk management, budgets. Um, but they wanted to merge the business side with someone that had a enthusiasm for football and um the rest is like kind of say is history <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a nice meeting to have then with Cortese and, and Pardew they're offering you that job um it was extremely frightening because I, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're, you're new to the club you'll try and your best to, to work hard um a guy who's still at the club has been a, a, a good friend and a good colleague chap called Chris Lovegrove who's their head of the masses um to this day um, basically, he took me under his wing and said, "Look, you know, keep your head down, work hard." Um, and I was doing that, and I think even he was shocked when I got the summons. Uh, you know, we were looking at each other, and I was thinking, "What have I done?" You know, <laughs> but it was a, it was a, it was an enjoyable experience once I realised I was in there for the right reason and not uh, not for the wrong reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, so as as mentioned at the top, we we've spoken to to Jim, and it was really interesting to kind of get an understanding of what it's like working in the media department at a football club, and it's and it's interesting to speak to you for, on a different side of things. We've spoken to players and and coaches, but to get a kind of different understanding of what it's like working for a for a football team that we support. Um, and as far as kind of equipment managers go, my knowledge of of what your job involves kind of is mainly. Um, come from from documentaries and things that I've watched. So the Man City did a documentary, um, and their kit man Brandon Ashton was was quite heavily featured in it. Um, and what I took from that was some of the best changer rooms are often full of kind of team spirit and camaraderie, and, and it helps, I guess, to have a sense of humour when you're in in that environment. Um, have Have you found that in your experience of working in in the Saints dressing room? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you're, you're there. It's a, it, it, I, I always say this to people, it's a privileged position. The dressing room is a, a sacred position, if I can use that expression. Um, and you're there to help and work with the players. You're there to ensure that all they have to focus is on the football. You're one of a, one of a team. You know, you've, there's a medical team, a sports science team. I've got a very, very um, shout out to my number two, a guy called Jamie Ireland, young fella who's been me for, with me for a few years now. So my, myself and Jamie are in that inner circle, if I can use that expression. Um, but at all times, although you work hard, it's knowing when to apply the humour. It's knowing when to say nothing. It's knowing when to do your job. It's knowing when to maybe... Um, offer words of encouragement to a player when it's best to get on and do the job and, and, and um, just focus on your role and, and, and leave players to 
focus and reflect on what they're trying to achieve. But yeah, definitely humour. We we certainly, you know, my jokes are appalling, but I, I, <laughs> we try and use humour where we can, you know. Yeah, I mean, so just just to, I guess if you could give a, a brief um, synopsis of of what what does your your job involve on a match day? Then, like, where does it start? Where does where does your where does your day start? Um, day before a match is is probably one of our busiest teams. So um, I, I, all managers tend to work slight, slightly different, but the objective's the same. At some point during that day. Um, myself and Jamie will be given notification of the squad. So by the time that particular day comes, we've basically got all of the kit and all of the equipment prepared for all of the first team and all of the backroom staff. And then the manager will decide how many players are to be involved. I mean, sometimes we know that if there's a player out with an injury for three or four weeks, that we won't necessarily have to pack that particular player's kit. But the, the objective of a kit man is to assume, or if you know that everyone's fit, everyone's selected until you're told otherwise. So it's the preparation of the kit, the equipment, you liaise with your medical and sports science team, um, I've got the kit van, otherwise known as the Black Pearl, and the Pearl will be full the day before again with kit, boots, uh, sports science, medical, analysts' equipment, just about everything you can think of. You, you know, you're, you're literally decamping from Staplewood to the stadium in order to um, prepare for a game of football. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess on if you're on an away day then, are you... You're, you're staying overnight, so you then get into the stadium. How, how much earlier do you get to the stadium than the first team squad arrive on, on a match day? It very much depends on the schedule, um, where we are in the season. Um, a typical away game, um, for example, Jamie and myself will leave, if the team are going up by coach or by playing, we will leave maybe just after the team or just before the team. Um, we like to get to the stadium on a Friday night just to make sure the stadium hasn't changed in its physical layout. Um, we'll unpack all of the kit and equipment, but we don't set up the dressing room. We will then unpack, report to the team hotel, have evening meal with the rest of the players and the squad. And then usually um, myself, Jamie, um, Lewis Corlett, who's an excellent um, coordinator, he's our logistics manager, myself, Lewis, Jamie, Chris, Jack, Gio, the other masseurs, and one of the sports science team, we'll all go down on a Saturday morning to prepare for the, the team's arrival. So normally we like to get down half past nine, have everything ready for when the team arrives about 1, 1.30 time. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned there, obviously, you've, you've travelled around the country and seen a lot of stadiums. I think yeah. one, one, of the, one of the things about, um, that kind of interests me is the differences between a home and away dressing room. And teams like to gain a little bit of an advantage by, um, make, well, obviously, making the home dressing room much more comfortable than the away one. Um, in your experience of travelling around the country, is there any dressing rooms that stand out to you as um, either great to go to and lovely facilities or on the other side of things, it's a little bit, makes it a little bit more challenging for yourself. Um, this probably sounds a very dull and boring answer, but kit men, we, we have our unofficial brotherhood. We look after each other. <laughs> right. um, because if, if I try and do a side down at St. Mary's, then they're obviously going to remember that and they'll make it 
difficult for, for myself and Jamie when we go to an away game. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the newer stadiums, you think of the Emirates, which is beautiful. It's, it's really nice. Um, Brighton's Annex is a nice, large dressing room. Some of the other stadiums um, are more challenging just because they're older stadiums and logistically it's difficult for them to, you know, if you've only got a, a certain square footage, you've only got a certain square footage. But you find that clubs with a small stadium are just as cooperative, just as helpful, um, because at the end of the day, like I say, either they've got to come to us or we've got to go to them. So you try and genuinely help each other. Yes, you want to win and you know, you're not going to give away any secrets or give any, give away any team news. Um, but you know, you're there representing your club and you need to be as professional as you can um, in your dealings with the other club. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of, a lot of people that listen to this will be, will be followers of you on social media as well. Um, and I saw you tweeted a clip um, from a guy called Pat McAfee, who, who is the Indianapolis Colts uh, a player or former player um, in the NFL. And I thought it was really interesting, that clip that you shared. Um, he, his, he talked about his experience um, and that kind of the equipment managers on the Colts were his favorite people in the sports team because they, they truly put the team before the individual. They work long days. Um, you're dealing with with players who who are at the top of their game, and they can be very demanding as a result of that. Um, and ultimately, I guess the job is to ensure that those players perform on a match day because that's what makes the team successful. Um, so I, I was just wondering, really, you must you must build up some incredible relationships with the players um, just because you work with them for such a long period of time, and you're together in the changing rooms, and you're also crucial, really, to them doing their best on a match day because you're looking after their kit, you're looking after their boots, um, you're basically looking after the tools of their trade. Um, so, is there any kind of players that stand out to you over the eleven years that you've been doing this that you've kind of built up a really close relationship with? Um. Yes, I, I think the, the club, um, there's a lot of, um, and rightly so, a lot of um, column inches devoted in the past to our scouting and recruitment policy. And we try and get a player that will fit the Southampton um, ethos. So I've been very fortunate that in, in terms of players that I've worked with, um, I genuinely would struggle to think, my goodness, you know, that player's been a particularly awkward so-and-so. Um, you try and treat every player the same. You try and, uh, and and do your level best for every player. Obviously, some players might be on your particular wavelength when it comes to a sense of humour. So in the past, um, Dean Hammond and Dan Harding were very, very... Um, laughable guys you know you could have a good laugh with them in the yeah. in the dressing room I mean Calvin who's obviously part of the management team now but Calvin is a senior pro um not only was he approachable in the dressing room you could have a laugh and a joke and I think there may have been times when Calvin possibly appreciated that we were throwing in the humor but at the same time I'd like to think he understood that we were respectful when it was time to back off or, or, or do something else. But Dean Hammond was certainly a lovely player. Um, Ricky Lambert, obviously, Ricky, I think he's everyone's favourite. But I also yeah, had a absolutely. very good relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Virgil van Dijk, uh, got on well with Virgil, Adam Lallana. I mean, really, there are too many to mention. I think because the club had done its homework and they got that particular player, 
Um, it's not what just the player does on the field, it's how he conducts himself off the field. You know, does he really buy into the Southampton way, the spirit and the ethos of the club? So um, I've just been fortunate. And, and even now, you know, Jamie and I will sometimes um, after a game, we'll, we'll have a laugh and a chuckle, particularly if we've won, not if we've lost, obviously. You know, we take it very personally if we've lost a game. Um, but if we've won, we, we might recount a particular incident in the dressing room or, you know, oh, we got you round the face with a pair of wet underpants, didn't it? You know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the, that's the um, environment in which we work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I played football when I, when I was a youngster and, and, and even when you're playing at a youth level, you play with players that are very particular yeah. Um, about the boots that they're wearing and the shin pads that they're wearing, and I can imagine that that's to a factor of a uh, hundred when you're when you're um, playing at the level of the Premier League. So I was just wondering, it, it, does anything jump out you uh, jump out at you in terms of like random requests from players that you might have had in the past about anyone particular, um, particularly particular about the shin pads that they wear, or about the boots, or or anything like that. I wouldn't say, again, it sounds very dull and boring. I, I hope I'm not switching your listeners <laughs> off to this. Um, players have obviously got their particular shin pad or particular boot. I mean, the shin pads vary from the very small to the um, almost like cricket pads. Um, goalkeepers like to stick together. I mean, they're, they're a crazy bunch. They're one of the best <laughs> people to work with, but we... We, we found that both home and away, the three keepers or two keepers, depending on how many are travelling, they like to be in a group. But again, you know, they're, they're going to go out before the rest of the team to warm up. Um, I wouldn't say any particular circumstances. The, uh, sorry, particular um, superstitions. Diane um, Lovren, um, sorry, Dusan Tadic, not Diane Lovren, Dusan Tadic used to like to put a little thin red... Um, like a ribbon band round his wrist, but that was more for good luck, etc. And again, yeah. that's part of the kitman's job. You know, if, if by giving uh, a particular player uh, a certain boot or a sh- certain shin pad or a certain type of body layer or under armour, um, that mentally gets the the, the, the the player ready, then that's what we're there to do. You know, mm-hmm. who are we to question it? Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, and I mentioned the... Um, the, the little interview clip and I, and I would uh, I'd suggest to people that, to go and check that out on your Twitter feed because I thought it was, it was fascinating what uh, Pat McAfee had to say. Um, it's only two minutes or so long. Um, but it also made me think just about um, in terms of your job, beyond just winning on a weekend, which you said obviously that's the most important thing in the club. We want, we want them to win every weekend. What do you enjoy most about being the, the kit and equipment manager at Saints? I have to say, I, there's no there's no low for me. Everything's a high. You know, I, I, I remain a fan. I, I um, Nathan Redmond is a a player that I've, I I have a lot of conversations with, as do I, uh, I with Ryan Bertram. And Nathan, um, a couple of years ago, came out with this expression of being humble and focused. And I thought, what a lovely expression. And I think as a kit man. Um, you have to be humble and focused. So I'm a fan first and I know how much of a privileged position I'm in by getting the job and by doing what I do. So I try and be humble and focused. So in terms of um, do I have a low of the job? No, I don't have a low. The highs are, and I, I've said this many a time, um, my wife, Frankie, works part-time at the 
in the laundry so she understands this when you win that dressing room there's no other feeling like it you will never ever 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 get a feeling like a winning dressing room um if you draw yeah life's not so bad if you lose it's like a death in the family and i'm not you know i'm not belittling bereavement in any way shape or form it it, it really hurts um and so i think to summarize it's it's a privilege to be there and so i don't really have any lows but if if we lose you you feel awful you think you've let the team down you think you've let your family down you've let the city down you've let your family and friends down it's it's a it's a horrible horrible feeling when you lose mm. a game mm. Well, to focus on the highs then, have you had to, yeah. if, if you could, pick out one or two, I guess, memorable highlights from your career so far, um, both, I guess, working professionally for the club, but then I mean, on the flip side as a fan as well? Um, the, the biggest high I can remember is, uh, um, unfortunately, I lost my father when I was a very young lad. Um, but one of the few things I was able to do with my dad was he took me to my very first Saints game back in 1966 and we beat Fulham 4-2 and then we followed that up with a 6-2 win against Aston Villa it might be the other way around but the thrill I got of going to the old chocolate boxes and standing on the terraces and I saw Ron Davis and Ron Davis I saw Ron Davis after the game and I still remember that feeling and but that I've never, ever, ever, as a, as a fan, um, I suppose apart from winning the Cup in 76, mm-hmm. I've never, ever forgotten that. And I think that, because it was my first experience, that set me on a lifetime of football and a lifetime of Southampton. So mm-hmm. that's, that's as a fan, as, a, as a, an employee of the club, um, one of the guys who works for us part-time, a chap called Keith Bell, um, we've been going to the San Siro now for the best part of 25 years. Um, AC Milan being a team that we follow, we've seen oh, over 25 Milan derbies. We mm. were at Atalanta when we got the news that we qualified in Europe. So the night, and we've got friends in Milan, we've been going there for a long time now. So the night we played Inter, I know the result wasn't um, mm-hmm. everything, um, but Block C, 235B, curve aside that's our that's our seat and I just looked up and um yeah I was uh, I was very emotional that night because it kind of my you know you saw nine and a half thousand fans who've made the massive effort to come over you know supporting any team is not cheap and then I genuinely saw one or two people that I knew in seats from my AC days um and obviously they were there I guess watching, hopefully watching Southampton and not cheering on Inter, um, and that was a lovely, that was a lovely emotional kind of yeah. day for me. I, I felt a little bit um, very privileged. Yeah, that's the only way I can describe it. It sounds like a lovely moment. I mean, it's such a such a historic stadium. Um, yeah. I, I I wasn't able to get out there for that game, but I know people who did. And obviously, you mentioned the result wasn't what we wanted, but it's incredible to see Southampton playing on that stage. And just interested, what the the connection with AC Milan is that because you know people from the city? Uh, very quickly, Keith twenty odd years ago was celebrating a special birthday, and this says volumes about the players that Southampton Football Club um, attract. So his wife. Um, made contact with Joe Jordan, okay. uh, who obviously used to play for AC Milan, used to yep. play for Southampton. Joe Jordan took the time and trouble to contact Keith's wife, Maggie, all those years ago, explained where to go, how to get tickets. And 
20 odd years on, probably 25 years on, um, we're, we're still going. Wow, that's great. But again, you know, Southampton's always been the community club and the players um, have always had a rapport for the, with the fans. And, you know, it's a club where hopefully that, that link with the community, um, mm. you know, I can't think of too many other clubs where, the, you know, centre forward would possibly take the time and trouble to, to um, answer yeah. Um, what essentially was somebody didn't know and took a lot of time and trouble and that's how it all started yeah you mentioned there the rapport with the fans and 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 as I kind of said at the, at the start you're on social media you're a great follow for Saints fans because you do kind of give that little bit of an insight into what it's like um, behind the scenes at the club so is that something that you've kind of made a conscious effort to to do to be active on Twitter and and to be um, active in, in, in engaging with the, the Saints community? Well, if, if I may, I'd like to name check a couple of people because I feel strongly that social media, if used in the right way, is a, is a fantastic link. Um, but, you know, credit to Jordan Sibley, head of media, and at the time, Jim Lucas, they encouraged me. Um, I have a, a line manager at the club, a, a, a very hardworking lady, Ros Wheeler, who's the club secretary, and um, she was very supportive of allowing me to use Twitter. I mean, clearly, you know, one has to be a little bit discerning on what you post and what you say and um, how, how you um, approach various subjects I mean, again you're acting as an ambassador for the club you're a club employee so yeah it's a conscious decision but those three people in particular were very supportive in um uh, and, and encouraging and allowing me to go on to twitter mm. yeah no absolutely um well from, from a fan point of view like I, I said i do this podcast with my brother jack and and we both follow you and, and it's great just to even we've been following saints since we were young and it's been great to get that little window into the club um, from yourself um, but just to kind of go back to the change rooms a little bit yeah I'm just just interested um, you've worked under lots of different managers <laughs> at Saints um, how does the dressing dressing room under Ralph compare I mean some I guess some dressing rooms are, are high energy before kickoff some some players like to be super focused how does Ra- Ralph like to manage that atmosphere and and how do you how does your role fit into that well, again, um, if I talk about my role, um, I have Jamie and I have set tasks to perform, and clearly there are time slots in the game or, or leading up to the game when um, the, manage, the management team, um, both Ralph and all of the coaches, know that we need to get certain things done, and they're respectful of that fact. And obviously, we then use those time slots to do whatever we've got to do, whether it's um, Retidy the dressing room, change studs on the boots, get things ready for the second half, whatever. Um, in, in terms of how Ralph acts as a manager, I would say no different to any other um, manager. You know, he, he will do what he feels is best for the team. Um, and a kit man's relationship with a manager, as I've hopefully said earlier, is one of um, not only respect and support, but knowing when you should be doing the jobs that you're expected to do and knowing when to when to back out mm-hmm. um you know certainly uh, ralph is very supportive very enthusiastic you know hopefully um the fans would, would would see that in the video clips you know he he's got a lot of energy and um i suppose 
charges the room with that energy. That's the only yeah. way I can describe yeah. it. You know, I mean, that, he's that's, a very, yeah. very positive chap. It's, it's a joy to behold. That's kind of what I was, yeah, I, a better way of saying what I was trying to say. But you, we do see when you're following Saints, you, he, he's high energy after the game and yeah. he's in front of the fans. And um, and I think that's, that's managers have their own way of doing things, but that's slightly different to some managers that, that we've had in the past. So I was yeah. just interested how working with different personalities impacts your role. Um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would say that, fundamentally it sounds very boring but whoever the manager is there's still certain things that have to be done I mean obviously you're working to a schedule that the Premier League gives you there are certain times where the captains have to go in and exchange team sheets and etc um, that sometimes ramps up a little bit if it's a televised game but in essence I think the, the role of the kit man and you know Although we're talking about me, we shouldn't forget all of the hardworking physios and the massage. You know, Steve Wright and his team. Um, but they're, they're, we're all we're all part of the jigsaw, if I can use that expression. You know, we all bring to that particular scenario our own skill set, our own particular role, and we're there to support each other. But ultimately, um, the man who kind of drives everything, apart from the players themselves, would be the manager and, and with Ralph, yeah, it's, it's a delight to work with. You know, he encourages you, he supports you. Um, he likes to joke with you at certain times and certain times he's focusing on what he's got to get on with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I was, I, I don't know whether this is, is relevant to, to particularly to your position, but again, from my limited knowledge of, of dressing rooms, music plays a large role in, in that. So I wanted to ask yeah. you, um, I guess it's a big part of things at football club. Who controls the dressing room music now? Do you have any input into it as the kit man? Um, and over the years, who's been the best DJ um, at the club? Okay, well, the answer to that is yes, I have, along with Jamie and Chris and Gio and Jack and, and Louis, we're the crew that get there early. So we, we refer to ourselves as the sort of um, the backroom crew. Um, so in the in the morning getting the dressing room set up we can play what music we want and uh, in recent times they i'm the one that puts the particular track on that the players walk into um sometimes jamie will put it on and we mix it up a little bit you know we've, we've had some old stuff as well as some new um i have to say that my music taste obviously I'm a lot older than people like Nathan Redmond but um, I've introduced Nathan to the joys of Funkadelic and George Clinton and Bootsy Collins and he's uh, you know he's introduced me to people like Drake and all these other current artists Um, I would say Nathan takes the time and trouble to put together a good playlist so once the team have walked into whatever I'm playing um, he'll then Maybe sometimes he'll say, okay, we'll use your playlist, Forbesy. But other times he's got a new playlist and he'll put it on. But all the lads will contribute to that playlist. I, you know, Nathan has a passion and he's very good at it, but the other <laughs> lads will contribute to it, yeah. Okay. And in the past, in previous teams, has there been anyone that stands out to you as, as someone that, like, like Nathan, likes to do now, kind of take control? Um... I'm struggling, really. I'm, I'm sure if Jamie were here, he'd be shouting a name in my ear. But <laughs> I, I can't, honestly... No, I think up until probably two or three years ago, um, we were probably playing our own playlists. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would say Nathan and Ryan, um, Bertrand, uh, yeah, they, they, they're young men, they like music, they, they know what's current, they know what's, uh, what's um, in the charts, etc. Um, so, uh, no, I, I'm struggling really on that one, okay. sorry. <laughs> That's fine. If you could, uh, just, without pressing it too, further, too much further, um, a little exclusive in terms of, Norwich City game coming up. What are the players going to be? What are you going to be playing for them as they walk into the dressing room at Carrow Road? Do you know yet? Have you thought that far ahead? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple in mind. I think um, I've got a couple in mind, but obviously with this horrid, horrid disease, and you know, my thoughts are with any family that have lost a loved one or have a loved one that's struggling. Mm-hmm. So you know, get well, please. Um, I think until we know the exact. Um, schedule on how things are going to be done um, I'm not yet sure how we'll play the music I mean I'm sure we will play the music it's an essential part of focusing so yeah I've got a I've got a couple of standby ones uh, there's a couple of old Funkadelic tracks I play I mean I'm getting old now because a lot of these Funkadelic tracks are now sampled by a lot of the new rap and gangster rap artists you know? so when when the guys talk to me about this is a current track I'll say Hang on a minute. That's I recognise Collinson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of look at me. So there's a bit of mutual respect. You know, I, I teach them about Funkadelic and um, they certainly teach me about the, the current genre. So, you know, again, you've got to be open-minded. Just because you're old doesn't mean you can't like a particular artist. Music is for everybody. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, and we, when we spoke to Jim um, a few weeks ago, one of the things that we asked him was uh, he works in media and, and my background has been in media as well. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about was um, things that you can look back on now and laugh about, but the things that went wrong, basically. And that, that happens relatively frequently in media, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you make mistakes, whether it's on social media or, or on the website. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask, as a kit man, obviously, you're an, you're an incredibly uh, vital role to the, in the success of the team. Is there anything now that's happened in the past that you can look back on and laugh about without forgetting the kit or getting someone's wrong-sized boots or anything like that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. They probably don't sound funny, but I do assure you, well, the, 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 yeah, there's, there's, there's two things that spring to mind. Um, a few years ago, Chris Lovegrove and I were travelling in the Black Pearl up to Huddersfield. It had been an absolute brute of a journey. We were, I think we'd been on the road for nearly eight hours. It was a, day, it was a bad Friday. Every motorway was, was closing down and we were playing Huddersfield on the Saturday. And um, we were going through this sort of dimly lit little Yorkshire village somewhere on the outskirts of Huddersfield. And it was the first time I'd ever worked Huddersfield's Grant. And um, there's this big queue of traffic in front of us, and we're both pretty tired. So I remember pulling in behind this car and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then about 15 minutes went past. And I looked at Chris, and Chris looked at me, and it was a queue for a fish and jig shop. All these cars had parked. <laughs> I was like at the end of the queue, thinking there was a. a something up ahead so that was quite oh, funny dear. and oh. um mr alan pardew bless him there was a there was a quite a funny incident with him so um not, not all the time but as a, as a treat I, we played um tranmere rovers away mm-hmm. and as a treat um he said on the way back we can have fish and chips for all the players so he said um go to the local uh, fish and chip shop and, and and get fish and chips 
So straight after the game, I've done my job and I'm racing to this um, place. It was called Mr. Chips. And I'd been assured by a couple of their locals that it was the best fish and chip shop in town. So I turn up at Mr. Chips. It's a computer shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm there thinking, my God, I've got to get 35 helpings of fish and chips. And... Um, Oh, oh I, uh, fortunately, there was this little fish and chip shop about five minutes down the road. And, um, uh, you know, Linford Christie would have been proud of me. I sprinted across <laughs> there, somehow managed to drag my way to the front of the queue, got the fish and chips, got back, got on the coach. Um, Mr. Pardew used to have this pre well, post-match ritual, you know, Forbes eat cup of tea. He always liked a, a nice, strong <laughs> cup of tea. So I've given him the cup of tea. Right, fish and chips. And I'm thinking, oh, please let these be decent fish and chips. And he called me up um, halfway on the journey home. He went, right, we need to talk about the fish and chips. And I'm, yes, Gaffer, you know, um, just want to say, well done. Best ever, yeah. And I, wow. to this day, I don't know how I managed to pull that one off. It was, um, <laughs> I, I still, every time I see Tram there, I, I just think of Mr. Chips. Some of the lads knew what was happening. You know, people like, um, I think Richard Chaplow would have been around, Dean, Dean Hammond, Danny Butterfield, and they were just killing they were, themselves. They were loving it, I bet. Oh, yeah, they were loving it. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was really, really, oh, you know, my career's over before I finished, you know. <laughs> it sounds like you've been stitched up there a little bit, and they were telling you um, it's the best. Yeah, pro probably have, but. <laughs> But if, oh. if, if, people, if people can't, um, if people can't take the mickey out of the kit, man, you know you've arrived <laughs> as a kit, man, when people take the mickey out of you. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a great story. Um, thank you for well, that. Um, it sounds very funny, but I, honestly, I know people were ripping into me for weeks. About. <laughs> Have you been on fish and chip duty since then? No, I mean, obviously, that was that was pretty much a one-off. I mean, th th these days, people like Bill Stiles and Alec Gross, head of sports science, mm -hmm. they, they're very meticulous. So when the players get back on the coach, you know, the food is already waiting for them. And once in a blue moon, it might be fish and chips if the players have got a few days off. But these days, you know, it's, it's very nutritious food, you know, chicken, protein, yep. carbohydrates. So they're the experts but the, the, the you know certainly when the players climb back on the coach they are fed well because that's an essential part of the recovery process no absolutely yeah you mentioned um coming on to, to a couple of the final questions but um yeah. we're living through extraordinary times as you mentioned with the with the covid situation and football obviously was postponed in march and we're now um fingers crossed hopefully getting close to returning to the Premier League action, um, Saints back in training. From your, in your experience yep. over these past couple of months, um, I'm sure you've been extremely busy. But how how was the adjustment to working remotely for you? Well, I'm very fortunate because um, it's that time of the year when we've got several thousand items of kit coming in so um whilst i was you know like a lot of the employees at the football club i wasn't in every day there were some days before training when we were going in because we had lorry loads of kit arriving and we needed to sort it there were still things to be done there's still name blocks and number plates to be ordered there's still football boots to be sorted out so um it, it was, yes, it was an adjustment. You know, I was very fortunate. I was able to do some work at home. Um, 
budget planning, staff appraisals, um, credit to Saints Foundation because of the work they've done in the community. So I've done some voluntary work for a couple of um, weekends with uh, Food Share, helping the Saints Foundation. I also called some season ticket holders. So I kept myself busy. Um, but, you know, I was in a fortunate position. I, I've got my health and I wanted to try and help others. And it was nice to it was nice to be able to do something. You know, the foundation do a hell of a lot of good work. A lot of it doesn't always get um, into mm -hmm. the press. So it was nice to be able to be part of that um, particular group of people and, and put something back into the community. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. In terms of return, returning to training, I guess, yeah. have you your role there's been lots of stuff in the press about the kind of protocols that have been put in place from the Premier League side of things and, and making it safe for players to return what are some of the things that, that you've had to do um, to put that in place at, at Staplewood well we've been very fortunate from Martin Simmons um, our chief executive down to my my line manager Ros Wheeler the sports and doctors and medical teams, the communication has been first, first class. So everybody at the club um, have, has known what's happening, why it's happening, when it's happening. So in terms of how we've adjusted, then clearly there are protocols that are in place. They're there to protect the players, protect the staff. Um, I suppose the biggest impact to me is that um, more than ever now, um, I'm wearing face masks, gloves, um, plastic aprons because all of the equipment has to be sterilized before use after use okay. um, and and you 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 know you, you have to make sure that you apply those um, particular cleaning agents safely um, it's it's added a little bit of time to my day but look we're fit we're healthy we're alive we're doing a job we want it's a small price to pay you know um we're, yeah. we're very very fortunate we the, the club have made sure that we've had all of the personal protective equipment um my my family uh, i've got cousins who work in the nhs my my mum worked in the nhs so you know we we are in a fortunate position that we've had all of that personal protective equipment so you know you're not going to get a complaint out out of me i think we've been very very fortunate you know you, you look at what you hear about some other um professions and hard-working people and perhaps they've not had all of the ppe that they need so from yeah. our point of view a little bit extra in the day but it's it's done with um safety in mind and you know health and safety of everyone's got to be paramount Absolutely, absolutely, and I guess it's a testing is part of that, is it? If you're a as a member of the team, does that is that every day or? No, the the the, the club um, as a football club, we are obviously party to the same protocols and procedures as all other members of the Premier League. Um, we are very fortunate because we are working, um, and, and I don't like to use the word key worker because that's that's not quite. The word I'm looking for but because we are working every day and supporting the first team it's important that we are tested to make sure that we're not um, carrying the, the virus so we're tested on a regular basis at the same time as the players um, okay. and it, it, it tends to be as and when directed by the Premier League so they they will notify the club and then the club will say okay you know tomorrow is your testing day and it's it's a small price to pay. It's it, it's not the most pleasant of things, but like I say, we've got our health, we've got our families and our loved ones, so it's a very small price to pay. 
Absolutely. I just wanted to finish on a couple of couple of questions that we've got from our from our Twitter followers. Yeah. Um, the first one being favorite Saints kit. What's looking back? Anyone particularly one stand out to you? Yeah, I did like the nineteen seventy six Cup final kit. Um, Good choice. For all sorts yeah. Of reasons. I thought that the um, one two five kit with the you know the white with the red sash. I thought that was. Um, was a, a, a really, really smart kit and credit to our retail and commercial teams and um, the, the, you know, they, they worked hard to sort of make that happen. So, yeah, they're probably my two favourite kits. I agree with you on the, on the 125 kit. I really like that one as well. Um, how has your job changed from when you first started doing it in 2009 to now? Um, there's possibly more demands on my time because everything ramps up year on year, particularly if it's a television game. You know, if you're successful, you're on television more. So the timings um, uh, not impact on your day. You just have to take account of them. I wouldn't say it's changed fundamentally because um, I say to people, a kit man is to make sure that the kit and equipment is, is in the right place at the right time for the right team. And that, that really hasn't changed. Um, possibly possibly just keeping abreast with all the, the new music. So, uh, you know, I can, try and, <laughs> I can try and hold the central conversation with people like Nathan and Ryan that I do understand who, who these rap artists are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you mentioned uh, other people that work for other clubs, other uh, kit and equipment managers. Um, this question is, do you, do you have a beer wine with the opposition uh, kit team after the game like managers do? No, because that's when we're at our busiest. So right. you, you have to remember, and I'm being, yeah, there's an element of um, frivolity here, but there's also a seriousness. Um, every team, particularly the away team, they have schedules to meet, whether it's the team are flying back or they're going back by coach. Um, the moment the game ends, the, the, the medical and sports science team would tell you that's when the recovery starts. So we're on a fairly tight schedule. Jamie and I, before the game, we'll have a conversation with the kit men. Um, it's a, it's a sort of the kit men, kit lady brotherhood. We'll make sure that there's food on arrival for the kit men and they'll reciprocate when we're at their place. So before the game, you might have a pie and chips with them if you've got time or a sandwich after the game you'll have a little bit of a chat with them um but most most of the time after the game you're trying to get you know everything packed away you're trying to make sure that everybody's got everything it's it, i'd like to think jamie and i are important but the most important thing is the recovery of the team so very often Jamie and I will get help get the team out, then we'll finish off in the dressing room. Um, and depending on where we are, you know, sometimes the, the press people will say, oh, come and have something to eat before you go back. Um, but we, we, tend to, we tend to do the majority of our talking with the kit people before rather than after the game. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And finally, uh, someone's saying they, they love your Saints tattoo. Um, when, did you, when, did you get, when did you get it? <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm 62 this year, and I my two daughters Gemma and Lisa, when I was 40, said, "Dad, we don't know what to get you." I said, "Oh, I know. Let's have a midlife crisis." So um, I had the tattoo. I had the first one on my arm when I was 40. Then about I think it's six months later, I had the badge put on with um, a nod to my Italian friends. So. It, above the badge it says no mio cure and beneath the badge una verifidisci which means in my heart 
Southampton Football Club, One True Faith. Um, and that, that's why I had it done. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, excellent. well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time um, to chat to us. It's been, it's been really fascinating and it's been great to hear some of the stories and to get more of an insight into, into your, your role at the club. So um, thank you very much for that. No, my pleasure. I mean, thank you for taking the time to want to speak to me and uh, a big thank you to all the Saints fans. You know, it's lovely when um, they come, they make the time and trouble to talk to myself and Jamie um, at home and away. And like I said earlier, you know, with this terrible, terrible virus, my, my thoughts are with each and every one and I hope they stay safe and looking forward to see everybody back at St Mary's when it's safe and appropriate to do so. What a fantastic bloke, Kitman Forbesy. <laughs> Absolutely loved that conversation with him. Uh, legend at the club um, and a pleasure pleasure to speak to him. Jack, enjoy that? Loved it. Exceeded all expectations that I had of a kit man. I knew he was going to be a great guy, but what a man. Just listening to him. He, <laughs> just, just such a nice bloke, isn't he? He's got some amazing stories about the club. You can tell he loves Southampton. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, it's just great to have that kind of character within the team and... You know, it seems like he's built up a great relationship with a, a few of the players as well. Yeah, I've bet fantastic to have uh, fantastic influence for him and to have him in the dressing room. I think yeah. is a real plus for the club. And of course, we had to ask the kit man for his favourite Saints kit. Are you happy with his choices? I am. Yeah, I mean, he went for the '76 FA Cup final shirt, which was a great shirt, and he went for the. 125th year anniversary um, shirt that we had, the, the sash kit in 2010, which, again, iconic. Um, personally, alongside them two, I'd put the 87-89 kit that we had, the Hummel kit, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which was the uh, it's like a Blackburn Rovers style, uh, half and half, with pinstripes and a solid red block, Draper Tools as the sponsor. Unbelievable kit that was, but... Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to put something out on our social channels this week because we've had some blinding kits, haven't we? And I'd love to know what our listeners think is the the best Saints kit of all time. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna put that out on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, I'll put a little poll out and um, reveal all after the Norwich game if we're not absolutely devastated with the result. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds well. I like the sound of that in terms of the synergy between the podcast and social media. We need to do more of that. So that sounds good. But yes, you come on to the Norwich game, which this week Premier League football is returning and which is amazing, but at the same time, absolutely terrified uh, about us returning to action. Mm. Uh, Friday night, 6pm, Sky Sports, probably will be behind the sofa watching that one. <laughs> um, how do you think we're going to get on? Dare I ask what, for a prediction? It just feels so weird to have football back. It feels so. What was the last game that we had? It was the Newcastle game, wasn't Newcastle it? Newcastle at home. Yeah, not a great way. Um, no, I mean, that's my, that's just in my head, that game and how I felt watching that game and just, just like weekend ruined. And I don't like yeah. how this game, I don't like how this game's on a Friday night either. It's just like before the weekend just absolutely yep. done us in. Um, but anyway, I mean... Norwich are going to be bang up for it. They'll have definitely targeted this game as one that they want to get off to a flying start. And Southampton yep. at home, if you're a Norwich fan, yep. you, you want three points. They're so desperate. I, they're desperate they, for points. They are. And I mean, I, I know we're obviously a Southampton podcast and we're focused on our team and we focus on our strengths, but Norwich do have their strengths as well. 
Um, they've got some very good players in that team, the likes of Buendia, um, you know, Pucky and, you know, a few other players in there, like top quality players. So I think they will be looking at our defence and our back five and thinking that if they're going to score goals, a team like Southampton with our record is someone that they're going to try and target to put a mm. few past us. So I just, yeah, I mean, I'm nervous. I'm not going to lie, I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous. And yeah, there's still several days between now uh, and the kickoff. Um, Saints were in action, uh, building up to the to the Norwich game against Bristol City, a 3-2 win. And you're talking about the defence. Uh, same old Saints, basically. 2-0 up, threw away to two-goal lead, two-all, and then Danny Ings um, scoring the winner. So, I mean, we've been out of action for three months, but it doesn't sound like too much has changed. I <laughs> know. Um, oh, but, I mean, as far as that that game went, um, I'm going to kind of ask you off the back of that to name your your predicted team. Ralph gave a run out to lots of different players. Quite a few academy players were in were playing. Um, there was three 45-minute um halves basically for that Bristol City game and lots of players mm. got a run out but if you had to predict the 11 that he'll go for against Norwich who have you got? So yeah I mean I think he'll he'll stick to his 4-2-2-2 formation that um, you know, he reverted back to uh, this season so I think he's going to go for McCarthy in goal over Gunn I think he's going to have Bertrand um Bednarak, Stevens, and right back's a difficult one. I don't know what he's going to do. I hope he plays Carl Walker-Peters. I'd yep. like to see him play. I don't want to see Ward-Prowse dropping at right back because I think we're a weaker team when he's not in centre midfield. And I think Hoiberg had a little stint at right back against Bristol City, which I don't want to see. I think it really weakens us down the right-hand side, both yep. defensively and going forward. There's no overlapping. There's no you know, possibility of that. Um, so hopefully Carl Walker-Peters, but that's one that I'm going to look out for straight away, Who who's he's slotting in there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, in midfield, hopefully it's Ward-Prowse and Hoiberg, what I want to see in there. And then I'd like to see Armstrong and Redmond, either side of the attacking two midfielders. Yeah. And obviously Danny Ings up front. Alongside him will be interesting. I don't think Shane Long featured against Bristol City. Yeah, no, he didn't. Yeah, not sure, 100%. By the time this comes out, we might know the reason why, but yeah, he didn't feature against Bristol City. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, I think I'd, those Yeah, those are the two areas. I'm looking, like straight away team news, I'm looking to see who's partnering Ings up front. Is it Long or Obafemi? And who's playing right back? I mean, if, if Long isn't available because he hasn't played in this game, I think he would go for Obafemi. That's what that's... Yeah. I think he'd put Obafemi alongside Ings. I don't think he'd put Shea, Shea Adams up there alongside him. I wouldn't mind either two, either yeah. one. But um, I think he's going to go for yeah Ings and Obafemi. If Long's if Long's fit, I think he'll definitely partner him. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And if not, Obafemi was the one that partnered Ings against Bristol City. Um, but yeah, agree agree with that lineup. Obviously, Gineppo is suspended after his red card against Newcastle. Mm. Um, but yeah, the good news obviously for us is Redmond. Redmond comes back in. Um, that's, that's really good for us. I think he's, he was missed over those last few games before um, the season was postponed. I'm going to put you on the spot before we go. Give me your prediction. Well, I mean, we did the predictions a few podcasts back, didn't we? And I said that we were going to get, I think I said three or four points out of Watford and Norwich. So hoping we get a positive result. 
I don't think it's going to be a draw because I think both teams are going to go for it. So I think there's definitely going to be a winner on the night. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go for a nice little 3-1 away win. We're going to be 2-1 up and they're going to be piling on the pressure and it's going to be absolutely horrendous to watch. And then we're going to spring them on the break like we did against Spurs away in the cup. And we're going to put them to bed, three points, coming back to the South Coast. I like the sound of that. I mean, yeah, it's going to, no matter what happens, we're not going to, it's not going to be comfortable, is it? It's not going to be comfortable. No chance. No chance we're going to go there and stroll it 2-3-0. such a huge game as well, because if we get three points here, that'll just set us up for the final eight games. And I'll, and I'll be so pleased and so relaxed, but you just know that's not how Southampton do it. So I, I don't even know why I'm thinking about it. It's actually, I don't even know why I'm doing it to myself. I know. I mean, obviously anything could happen. If we do go there and lose, it's just going to mean these next seven weeks are going to be absolutely horrendous. And we're just looking down the table, and then we go. We've got Arsenal at home, and I, I predict I think they're going to be quite good in these last nine games. So yeah. it's going to be a difficult game. So positive start, Carrow Road is what we need, Ralph. Please, please, please. <laughs> right. We will. The next time we will be speaking will be after the Norwich game. So we're either going to be. I think delighted or devastated. Uh, I can't see. I, I like. I think you're right. I can't see there being an in between. Um, so yeah, let's catch up after the Norwich game, um, and we'll be doing a little debrief on that next Monday. Um, until then, thank you for listening, uh, Jack. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Pat. Good to speak to you. Yep. Fingers crossed for Friday night. Up the Saints. <laughs>